Open your Bibles to, uh, to Luke chapter 10. Um, I did, uh, after a 16 and a half hour flight from Dallas, uh, actually fall asleep standing up. Uh, we're, we're talking with Dave and Emma. I think, I think your kids were there, and Jill's right here, and I just kind of go forward asleep, and I suddenly, my foot goes forward. I hit Jill's cup that's down there, and the first thought goes through my mind is not that I'm asleep or falling down. It's like, what's my foot doing? That was, that was what went through my mind, and I was just like, oh, wait, I am falling asleep. So it's a gift, I guess, Dave. I, I don't know. Um, it is a joy. It is really a joy to be with you uh, for many reasons, and uh, both Jill and I, we've, we've just really enjoyed our time together with you. We're among family, uh, among the family of God, and we're among a church that plays such a, an important role in our partnership and sovereign grace i'll tell you a little bit more about that tomorrow because i want to encourage you i want to thank you um so i'll hold those thoughts for tomorrow but i'm i'm here also because um of my friendship with dave and after being around him um he's one of the bosses in my life actually um i just want to be around him more i think he's just a very good leader and then after being him and seeing him lead you it just affirms those thoughts uh, you're being pastored well and led by, well by this man. So we, I thank God for you, brother. I really do. Uh, there's one way, though, I would question his leadership. Let me just say, um, <laughs> after the games today, that was a blast being out there with you, by the way. Getting pounded with the flour, that was great. Um, I got flour all over what I brought, and, which was good. That's a good thing. I, I look forward to that. So after the event, I walk up to Dave. I said, I learned one thing. You have a church full of cheaters. That's what you have. <laughs> And then as I'm looking at Dave, there's just this epiphany that came, and I, I understood why. Because as the pastors of the church go, the church goes. So you've got to work on that a little bit. But <laughs> Well, last night, Dave began our retreat together by pointing us to Psalm 33 where Asaph says there is nothing on earth we should desire besides Christ because He is the portion of our heart, our strength forever. And then this morning just did a great job of reminding us that that relationship we have with Christ is one that God initiated Himself. We did not initiate that with God because He chose us before the foundation of the world. And one of the applications of just that massive truth is that we should regularly have growing, fresh affections for Christ. And so what Dave has asked me to talk about tonight is those things that will distract us from spending time with Jesus. Those things that can therefore hinder our relationship with Christ in a way that we will not have those fresh affections for the Lord. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Those things that can distract us. That the title, if you want one, is Distracted by Many Things. And we're going to read from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I'm sure a story you're familiar with, the narrative of Martha and Mary. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. You know, before we pray, um, last night I woke up about uh, about 3 a.m. I probably be just because I'm old, quite frankly. And I was laying there and I was praying a bit for our time. And the Lord just showed me a picture that's been with me all day. And I believe this picture describes maybe some of you and the work the Lord's going to do in your life tonight. So here's the picture. There was a, a person sitting out a bit in the wilderness, out in the bush. And uh, around them, the bush is dark. And you're sitting on a rock and you're looking down at the ground sort of with your head and your hands. And all over the ground, there are these pieces of paper folded in half. And on the top of each piece of paper is the letter T. T standing for trouble. If you open up those pieces of paper, you'll see inside, you know, financial struggles. You see trouble at work. You'll see relational strain with family members or friends. And I realized in that moment that that spread before this person where they're just distraught and burdened are their many troubles. And then I saw Jesus. He stepped into the picture and he reached down. Every time he picked up one of those pieces of paper, they just disintegrated. They, they went away. And I believe that describes some of you. You feel troubled, burdened. Jesse said it earlier. But the Lord's going to come tonight. He's going to He's going to meet with you. He's going to unburden you. This is, this is the Lord who said to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So if that applies to you in particular, I want to, I want to pray for you now as we pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit that you do what I would never plan what Dave would never plan, what Brenda would never plan to do. Thank you for that picture that was unplanned. And I pray for those that that may speak to tonight, those that are troubled, those who are burdened, those who are anxious, those who are weary. I pray the Spirit would come now and fill them. I pray that there would be the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit as the Word is preached. I pray that you would do what no man can do, that you would care for them, that you would unburden them, that you would give them rest. Lord, I pray for all of us. I I pray that you would fill us with your Spirit and that you would work among us, Lord. I believe that you're going to work in a way that some of us may experience conviction tonight. And may that be sweet, May that not lead to condemnation, but lead to repentance and lead to grace flowing in. We we pray for the work of the Spirit tonight because we, we don't want to be distracted by things that keep us from loving you more and knowing you more. For you are the only one who can satisfy our souls. And we want that, Lord. We want to know you more. We want to be satisfied more in you. 
we want to love you more. So we pray that all this work would be done tonight by you and for that purpose and for your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Regardless of where you live in the world today, the standard response to the question, how are you doing, is this. Busy. Really busy. Crazy busy, right? And to affirm us in our busyness, the reply then is, well, that's a good problem to have. It's, it's better than the alternative. Tim Kreider in his June 30th, 2012 New York Times article entitled The Busy Trap writes this, Almost everyone I know is busy. They feel anxious and guilty when they aren't either working or doing something to promote their work. On top of that, they schedule in times with friends that only further pack their schedules. Even children are busy now. Scheduled down to the half hour with classes and extracurricular activities. They come home at the end of the day as tired grown-ups. The present hysteria is not a necessary or inevitable condition of life. It is something we've chosen, if only by our acquiescence to it. Kreider is right. Busyness is not simply that is something that happens to us. It's not just the effect of living in a busy city, big busy city like Sydney or Philadelphia. Rather, we choose busyness. I share Kreider's observation with you because the choice that Mary made to sit at Jesus' feet is contrasted with the choice that Martha made to be busy. Jesus says in verse 24, Mary has chosen. She has made a choice. Mary has chosen the good portion. That is contrasted with Martha, who is distracted by much serving because that's what Martha has chosen to do. We choose busyness. Now, I must admit, every time I read this narrative, I want to stand up and I want to, I want to defend Martha. Because I think Martha's doing some important things. I mean, Martha is the only one working in the story. She's busy serving others. She's making meals. She's making sure that everyone is comfortable. It seems that Martha is doing good stuff. It seems that Martha is doing important stuff. It's not like she's sitting off in the corner and she's on her iPhone checking her Instagram account. She's not doing that, is she? She's busy doing many things. And we need people like Martha in our lives. We need People like Martha in our churches. We need, in your church and in our family of churches, people that will, that will work hard, people that will serve others and make meals and set up chairs and serve in children's ministry. So why isn't Jesus jumping in and making things right like Martha asked Him to do? Well, I think our answer is found in verse 40. Look at verse 40 again. But Martha was distracted. Keyword, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Note that Jesus doesn't correct Martha for being busy. He doesn't say that to her. Working hard and being busy isn't necessarily wrong. However, it's wrong if it does this, if it distracts us from that which is most important. What is most important? To do what Mary did. To sit at Jesus' feet, to Listen to, to Jesus, to behold Jesus, 
to gaze upon Jesus, to be satisfied in Jesus. You see, I think busyness can actually reveal a much deeper problem in our souls. I think Kreider captures it well in his article. He says this, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy, completely booked and demand every hour of the day. Do you see the problem? Without Jesus, our lives feel they feel empty. Without Jesus, our lives, they seem meaningless. And so we fill them with this busyness to try to fill this void of meaninglessness and emptiness. And yet our, our busyness never fills that void. Our busyness never satisfies. And we can be like Martha. We can be anxious. And we can be troubled by many things. See, the problem with busyness is that it distracts us from the most important thing. It distracts us from the good portion. It distracts us from being with Jesus. Because only Jesus can, feel, can fill the emptiness. Only Jesus makes our life meaningful. What about you? Are you busy? Are you really busy? Are you crazy busy are you anxious and troubled by many things then maybe your busyness is a symptom of a distraction than time that you're not spending with jesus himself here's what i want to do tonight i want to i want to look at five things that drive our busyness and distract us from spending time with jesus five things that drive our busyness and distract us from spending time with jesus here's the first thing you are trying to do what god doesn't expect you to do you are trying to do what god doesn't expect you to do now we have to make sure that we understand this text accurately jesus doesn't admonish martha for working hard and that's actually theologically consistent because god we are told in genesis 2 created work before the fall and work is a good thing. Work is a way that we, we multiply, we subdue the earth, that we produce fruit. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work and to keep it. God created work and He wants us to work hard and to serve others by doing so, to be fruitful in our work because it's one of the ways that we subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Work is one way that we do serve others. Work can be a way that we bring God glory. So Jesus doesn't admonish Martha for working hard or serving faithfully. Rather, He admonishes her for being distracted and that admonishment is a caring admonishment because he sees that she's anxious, that she's troubled by many things. That's, that's key language, many things. Many things, meaning that she's trying to do more than what God expects her to do. That's what Martha is doing and therefore is distracted from that which is most important. Now, I don't know about you. When I read this story, I can relate to Martha. I'm like Martha. Maybe you're like Martha too. It's probably one of the reasons that I, I want to defend her. People like her, people like me, 
people maybe like some of you, we take responsibility very seriously and we feel responsibility very deeply. Therefore, when someone has a need or a job needs to be done, we we jump in and we do it. We work hard to fulfill this responsibility that we feel. But even with all that we do, most of us can can live with this low-level guilt, like Martha, that we're not doing enough, that there is more that we need to do. Here's one of the ways I just see this in my own life. I'm I'm a person who has trouble resting. I don't know if you have that trouble or not, but my day off can be a, a difficult day for me in some ways because I have trouble resting. Jill's here. She can testify to that. So it, my day off is Monday morning. I get up on a Monday morning. She says, you know, what do you, what do you think about doing today? And I just begin to click through this to-do list. And I hear her say, oh, really? Do we have to do all of that? Can't, Mark, can't, can't we just do nothing? And to me, to me, I hear that word, do nothing, impossible. We can't just do nothing. Why? Because to do nothing would seem almost wrong. To do nothing, I would walk away thinking, I'm just, I'm just being lazy if I spend this entire day resting. Can you relate to that? Some of you have trouble resting. People like me, maybe people like you, I don't think we have an accurate view of our limitations. We don't have an accurate view of our weaknesses. Because of pride, at least in my case, I believe it's pride, we don't accurately see or understand the limitations that God has given us in gifting, in ability, in capacity. We're the type of people who say, if we just had a little bit more time in a 24-hour day, we could get it all done, right? Right? That's what I say. That's maybe what some of you say. And so similar tomorrow to to Martha, we try to do what God does not expect us to do. See, it's humbling to come to grips with. It's humbling to know that we aren't gifted in every way, that we we are not omni-capable, that we do have limitations on our capacity, that God does give us only 24 hours in a day for a reason. Because he wants us to feel those limitations and our weaknesses. I just finished reading a book by Matt Perman. It's called What's Best Next. It's, it's really how to, to do what's best next. It's, it's how to manage your time and a number of different things. But in, in a section where he's talking about delegation and delegating things to others, this is what he says. God hasn't given us all the time we need to accomplish what we have to do. Because he wants us to rely on other people. Now, that's obviously a statement about delegation. But the principle is there. God hasn't given us all the time we need to accomplish all that we have to do because he wants us to be aware of those limitations. He wants us to be aware of our weaknesses so that we will not keep trying to do what he expects us not to do. So when we, read, when we don't realize our limits on gifting and capacity and ability and time, when we don't embrace our weaknesses, we will try to do what God doesn't expect us to do and we will multiply our business, busyness in doing so. And like Martha, we will be anxious and troubled about many things. Busyness is not something that just happens to us. Busyness springs from our hearts. In my case, pride, it springs from our hearts. 
It's something we choose to do. And it's important that we see it. It's important that we repent of it. It's important that we get grace from God to change and to grow and to be and to be sustained by grace. Because of this, when when we try to do what God doesn't expect us to do, here's what we become. We become functional saviors where we're trying to solve everybody else's problems, when we're trying to, to really fix everyone else's issues, when we're trying to, to meet every need. And when we're functional saviors, we won't see our need daily for the Savior and to be with Jesus. So are you trying to do what God doesn't expect you to do? Are you a functional Savior in your family's life or maybe in, within your friendships and you don't see the need daily to be with the Savior, the only one who will satisfy your souls. If, if that's you, God's going to meet you tonight. Oh, He's going to give you grace. He's going to shower you with grace. Second thing we, we see that drives our busyness and distracts us from spending time with Jesus. Number two, you are fearful about your kids. You are fearful about your kids. Now, if you have children, then you know that parenting is hard work. Uh, Jill and I would say, I know I would say, parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, Leading sovereign grace pales in comparison to parenting. Believe me, parenting is the hardest thing that I, that we have ever done. Parents are busy working hard to raise our children so they will what? So they will turn out okay. And yet there are times when the busyness of parenting, the busyness of our schedule can be a reflection of a fear that our kids won't turn out okay. That's what busyness can reveal. See, in the midst of raising a family, we must be aware of those fears that we can have for our children. And sometimes those fears are fed by, they're they're influenced by the culture around us. We can fear that if we don't raise our kids right, if we don't give them all the opportunities before them, then they will fail and it will be our fault. That's what we can fear as a parent. And so we live with these expectations that our kids need to read the encyclopedia by age three, that they need to know a second language by age five, that they can play concert-level piano by age seven and play professional-level football by age nine. We can do that, right? Here's Kevin DeYoung says it this way, parenting has become more complicated than it needs to be. It used to be, as far as I can tell, that Christian parents basically tried to feed their kids, clothe them, teach them about Jesus, and keep them away from explosives. <laughs> that, that, that last part's really important, by the way. Now, our kids have to sleep on their backs. No, wait, their tummies. No, wait, their backs. At least that's a thing in the States. It goes back and forth. While listening to baby Mozart and surrounded by scenes of Starry Starry Night. They have to be in piano lessons before they are five and can't leave the car seat until they're five foot six. <laughs> this is what we need to be aware of as parents. Parenting, parenting has become more complicated because our fear-driven culture has become child-centric. And we have to be 
aware of that. And when the culture influences us in this way, we can fear that if we don't have our kids in the best schools and give them every opportunity, they, they won't get in the, the best universities and they won't get the best jobs and they will fail. And it will be our fault. Our days can be filled with just giving them every opportunity filled with sports practices and music lessons and language classes and every imaginable social event. And so we're driving them everywhere all over the world. It seems like all the time. Many moms say, I spend all my time in a car anymore. Like Martha, we can be anxious and we can be troubled by many things that distract us from spending time with Jesus. And when we do get time with Jesus, quite frankly, we're too exhausted, aren't we? To really be with him. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. Sports and music and education. They're good things. They are. They aren't wrong things to involve your kids in. But when they control you. And when they control your schedule. And they distract you from being with Christ. You at least must ask yourself why. You must at least do that. Does your schedule reveal fear? about your children? Does it reveal a fear that your kids won't turn out okay? Jill and I, we have, uh, we have three married daughters, 36, 34, and 30, and we have nine grandchildren, seven years of age and under. Uh, so when we're, they all live near us, and so when we're all together, it is loud, it is chaos, it is fun, and then as a grandparent, they go home. Jill and I walk around the house saying, Grandparents are a great gig, isn't it? It's a, it's a great gig. But our, our girls have been out of the house for several years, and we've reflected back on our parenting, and we've seen a number of mistakes that we made. We, we just look back and say, Okay, I think we really tried to screw our kids up. That's basically what we tried to do through our parenting. But the, the, probably the, the biggest regret that we have, the one thing that we wish we would have done differently is this that we would have had more faith. That we would have more faith in God when it comes to parenting. That we would have more faith in God when it comes to our kids. When, when they weren't doing well. When they were struggling with their relationship with the Lord. When you wondered with really where, whether they were a believer or not. When they went through their own trials. In that moment we wish we would have trusted God more. Trusted God that he not only had them, but he was using the trial. He was using the difficulty to draw them, them closer to him. We didn't trust in the way we should have. We didn't have faith. And so there were times we were fearful parents as a result. See, as disciples of Christ, whether you're a parent or not, as disciples of Christ, but as Christian parents in this point, Spending time with Jesus can build your faith. And faith is what you need for parenting. Spending time with Jesus, it can build your faith and a faith that equips you to parent in a way that Scripture holds out for you. So think about that. How does Scripture hold that out for you as a parent? I think Kevin DeYoung captures it very well. Kevin DeYoung, one more time. What does the Bible actually say about parenting? Child rearing, child rearing is hardly the main theme of Scripture. 
God doesn't provide many specific instructions about the parent-child relationship except that parents should teach their children about God, Deuteronomy 6, 7. Discipline them, Proverbs 23, 13. Be thankful for them, Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. And do not exasperate them, Ephesians 6, verse 4. So here's a practical tip. When trying to decide everything that you want to involve your kids in, and none of the things I mentioned were wrong, and they're going to be different for different families, but practical tip start with what de young points out make sure you're doing those things that scripture calls you to do to teach them about god to discipline them to be thankful for them and not exasperate them you're fulfilling the parenting task if you do those things start with those and then let me just say this as a parent remember that your relationship with christ your your growing affections in knowing Jesus, in loving Jesus, I think is the most important thing you can leave your children. The most important thing that you can do for your children because more is caught than taught when it comes to parenting. So spending time with Jesus, it, it makes you a better parent. So are there any ways that your fears as a parent, are driving the busyness that you see in your schedule? Are there any commitments that you need to reconsider or schedule changes that you need to rethink? Okay, third thing that drives our busyness and distracts us from spending time with Jesus, you are distracted by your devices. You are distracted by your devices. Now, with our phones and our iPads and our laptops, we can read our Bibles, we can check sports scores, we can text family and friends, we can get the latest news, we can get directions to anywhere in the world, right? Technology is not wrong. Technology is not evil. Technology is a good thing. I mean, what would we do without it today, right? So don't hear what I'm not saying. The question is whether our devices control our lives and distract us away from spending time with Jesus. Because that's what Jesus is talking to Martha about here, being distracted away from spending time with him. Now, in today's world, we have to be aware that we have an accessibility in all of history, at least so far. We have an accessibility to, informa to information and an instant connection to, to work and to relationships that is unprecedented in history, at least to that point. And because of that, it can have this sort of addicting quality to it. There was an article in the Huffington Post that was published of May, uh, May 13th of this year, and it found that workers in the United States spend 6.3 hours per day, per day on email. 6.3 hours per day on email. It's a lot. Nearly 80% said they look at emails before going into the office, and 30% said they check their inbox while still in bed in the morning. Ugh. Half the respondents also monitored e emails during their vacations. That's probably no surprise. The numbers were even higher for 18 to 34-year-olds, with 45% opening emails upon waking up. And then this, listen to this, more than a quarter of millennials also admitted checking emails while driving. We can't live without our devices, right? We can't live without checking email. I've seen this addictive quality in my own life. I, I've just been working. I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to stay off. I'm going to stay off all technology. I'm going to stay off email and Twitter and all of that because I've got to work on this thing. I can't go 30 minutes with just thinking I've I, I got to check my inbox. There's almost an anxious. I've got to look at my Twitter account. I've got, I've got to be online looking at something. I, I can just think at times, what am I doing? Am I crazy? I can spend more than 30 minutes 
being off of technology. There was also an article in the New York Times regarding Facebook um, of this year. It was published on May 5th, 2016, where, fa- where Facebook reported dazzling first quarter results for the year. Net income nearly tripled to $1.5 billion, and monthly active, active users hit a record $1.65 billion. So 1.65 billion people in the world today are using Facebook. But, says James Stewart, author of the article, it's a much smaller number that leapt out to me. And it was this number, 50 minutes. That's the average time, 50 minutes. The average time, the company said that its users spend each day on Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger platforms. See, the more we use technology, the more we check email, the more we use Facebook and Twitter, the more we want to use them, don't we? It has this addicting quality to it. The use of our devices can be addictive and they can can add to our already full schedules and we can get crazy busy. And most importantly, our devices can distract us away from spending time with Jesus. It was just a, a few months ago. I got up early. I do my devotions early in the morning. And so I went down uh, to our home office and I sat down at my desk. And there on my desk was my Bible and my iPad. And I picked up my iPad first. And I checked my Twitter account because I wanted to see if anybody favorited or retweeted anything that I had tweeted the day before. Like I have something important to say, right? And so I'm going through my Twitter, and I'm looking to see if anybody's commenting or anything or what people are saying. And in that moment, the Lord just convicts me. Mark, what are you doing? You picked up your device. You checked your Twitter account before you picked up my word. This is my time with you and your time with me. In that moment, I was just... I was convicted of my self-centeredness, of my selfishness. And so I confessed that sin to God. In that moment, I repented. I turned off my iPad and I began to read his word. See, when I begin my day that way, by picking up my iPad and checking my Twitter account, I'm putting myself in the center of my world and not Christ. And when I begin my day that way with me in the center of my world and not Christ, I won't see my daily need for my Savior. I won't see my daily need to be with Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I'm a man who daily needs to spend time with my Lord. As the psalmist says in 73, Psalm 73, as for me, it is good to be near God. That's me. And maybe that is you. Are there any ways that you need to change in the use of your devices, your phone, your iPad, your tablet? Are they distracting you in any way from time spent with the Savior? Fourth thing that can that can drive our busyness and distract us from spending time with Jesus. Number 4, You crave the approval of people. You crave the approval of people. Many times we are crazy busy because we say yes to too many things because we don't say no to people. And we say yes to too many people because we want them to like us and not feel like we are 
letting them down. We don't want them to be disappointed in us. We can live under other people's expectations of us. Expectations like, I, I know Billy, if I ask him to do this, he will get it done. I, I know Glenn. I know that, that if I call him up right now, he'll drop what, I'm, what he's doing and he will come and help me. I know Dave. He's a good friend. I know that he will come through. We can be afraid that if we don't keep up with our friends, we will lose them as friends. See, our reputation for being reliable, for being competent, for being kind, for being a good servant, for being a good friend can lie, what, what lie behind our busyness at times. Now, it's not wrong to have those reputations. It's not wrong for you to be a dependable person but if they drive your schedules in a way that you can't say no to people because you fear disappointing them then they are wrong partly because they are distracting you from spending time with jesus here's what spending time with jesus will remind you when you spend time with jesus you are reminded that you don't need a reputation because because jesus has already secured your identity he has already secured your reputation through His finished work on the cross and through His resurrection where He imputes His righteous, righteousness to us so that we before God have a reputation, we have an identity that we are righteous in Christ. The gospel not only frees us from people's expectations, it not only provides grace to overcome the fear of man, it, it, not only makes a, it makes a way for us to draw near to God and to be with Him where our reputation is secure in Christ alone because we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. So are you saying yes to too many friends at the neglect of spending time with your greatest friend? Jesus Christ. All right, one last hindrance that I want, a distraction that I want to talk about. And I, I don't necessarily think that this drives busyness, but I think it's an important one to at least for us to consider. Number five, you've become too familiar with Jesus. You've become too familiar with your Savior. I, I see this as I grow older. The longer we're Christians, the more we are vulnerable to becoming familiar with Christ. We're vulnerable to that. Because we've known Him so long, we can think there's not much more to know. Because we've read our Bibles many times, we can think there is no new treasure that reveals the glories of Christ that can be found there and treasured there and satisfy our souls. When we sit at Jesus' feet, we can think, I've sat here several times times before you see familiar familiarity breeds passivity and that means we won't spend time with jesus in the way we once did when we first come to know him as lord and savior familiarity breeds passivity and passivity it breeds apathy in our relationship with christ we fight familiarity brothers and sisters by Remembering and applying Jesus' words to Martha in verse 42. Mary, oh Martha, listen, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. 
The good portion is Jesus Christ, who we are told in Colossians 1.19, we heard read earlier this morning, in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to, de- to dwell. That verse alone tells us that in Jesus, there are infinite riches of glory that we will spend eternity mining and be amazed by and treasuring. And when we treasure the glories of Christ, it will satisfy our souls like nothing else will. Only Jesus, only Jesus can satisfy our empty souls. Let me me conclude with this. If busyness in your life is a hedge of protection against the emptiness you're feeling tonight, if it's affecting the time that you spend with Jesus, if some of the forms of busyness you say, I can relate to that, or maybe the Spirit's been at work tonight in your heart and you've been convicted by that, then Jesus, He wants you to draw near tonight. He wants you to draw near to Him and to receive His amazing grace I say that because we must remember how Luke begins this narrative about Martha and Mary. Look at verse 38. Now, as they went on their way. Where were they going? Where were Jesus and his disciples going? We find our answer in the chapter just before chapter nine, Luke chapter nine, verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Where was he going when he stopped at Martha and Mary's house? He was going to Jerusalem. And it was there that he would be taken up on Calvary. It was there that he would die on the cross for Martha's busyness. For Martha's sins, for Mary's sins, for my sins, for your sins. He was going to die for people. He was on His way to die for people like Martha and like all of us, those who are sinfully distracted by many things. And it was there that our Lord Jesus Christ, He paid the ultimate price on the cross, receiving the punishment we deserve for our pride for our fear of man, for our unbelief. Through Jesus' atoning work on the cross, we receive grace. Not only at salvation, saving grace, we continue to receive grace that changes us and sanctifies us and transforms us and sustains us. That's the kind of grace that is available to you tonight because of what Christ has done for you in Jerusalem when He was taken up. If your soul is empty tonight, if you're maybe that person that you can relate to in that picture where all your troubles are spread out before you and you're burdened and you're weary, draw near to Jesus tonight. If you're convicted by maybe some form of busyness that I mentioned, draw near to the Savior. Because He wants to give you grace. And if you are convicted, by the way, just, just confess that to the Lord. He's eager to forgive, you know that. 
And then he's eager to shower you with this grace that he purchased for us on the cross. And this is why we need to do that. This is why we need to draw near. This is why we need grace. Because he's the good portion. He's the one who satisfies our souls like nothing else will. So let us draw near to him and let us receive his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God that includes stories that we can relate to. We're so glad that you didn't defend Martha in this story, but rather you you met her in her anxiousness and her trouble. We thank you that you give us people in the Bible that we can relate to because we're just like them. We can be anxious. We can be troubled by many things. And so if that is some of us tonight, that's us, if there are those here who are burdened by their troubles, would you meet with them now? Would the Spirit fill them? Would the Spirit convict where necessary? Would the Spirit comfort? Would Jesus be here among us and unburden our souls? Pour out your grace, Lord, I pray. In a way that makes us more amazed at what Christ has done for us and more amazed at who Christ is. And we ask this all in His great name. Amen.